the state-sponsored programming. I'm Will Blysath. I'm Sophie Asko. I'm Max Schell. I'm Catherine Bessler. So before we even get started with this episode, I would just like to congratulate John Bando and Kevin Linder for winning our t-shirt contest. I'll be sure to have you guys with your t-shirts on our Twitter. That being said, we're talking about the book, The Bluest Eye, today. We have on our special guest, Mr. Salina. Mr. Salina, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Awesome. So, Sophie, so could you summarize the novel for our listeners who have not read the book? Because some, some of our listeners definitely have read it, some haven't. So, Yeah, well, I would love to summarize it. So, The Bluest Eye is about a young African-American girl named Pakola who desperately wants blue eyes because she thinks it will make her beautiful. She thinks it will make her fit in. So she befriends the Mectir family, and the young ones, Claudia and Frida Mectir, aid Picola in this journey she has moving from a child to an adolescent. The most controversial part of the novel is Picola's father sexually assaulting her. And that might not be the center point of the story, but the whole story leads up to that. And eventually, at the end of the story, when Pakola loses her mind, it's as a result of the trauma she has from this assault. Throughout, we get themes of racism, gender roles, societal standards. We get the backstories, tragic backstories of characters such as Chali, Pakola's father, Pakola herself, Pakola's mother, her brother. And really, in all reality, although it's a, it is a novel, it is a work of fiction, the story mirrors or was intended to mirror the suffering of so many people whose stories are not heard. Thank you so much, Sophie, for that summarization. That being said, let's get right into it. So, Mr. Salina, why did you choose this novel, The Bluest Eye, to teach? It is a novel that I think would break the mold of what we usually do in our our English classrooms. So we always look at our our white male authors. I thought it would present a different perspective for the students. Uh, Toni Morrison is a writer who breaks conventions, breaks molds, and is known for being a writer who who challenges the readers. So I thought it would be a, a good choice. Very, very mature topics in the novel, but for an AP literature classroom, I think the students are, are up for it. That's awesome. So do you like the book? I do, yes. Uh, it's strange to say that just because of the themes that are in the novel, some of the events that occur. We just heard in Sophie's summary. But uh, I think it's an excellent novel for pushing the thinking to open up your eyes to see that here's a community that maybe we think we understand, and now the novel gives us a different perspective. That's awesome. So we'll kind of let's get in a little bit into our opinions about the novel. I'll start with you, Max. I know that you have a very passionate opinion about this book. So what do you think about The Bluest Eye? Um, yeah, so as well said, I did have a very passionate opinion about it. I openly despised it. Really, the crux of my issue with it comes from a kind of a conflict between Morrison's writing style and the graphic nature of the book. Um, It goes into graphic detail about topics such as rape and pedophilia, which I would be able to justify but being in a novel. But I didn't find Morrison's writing style to be particularly remarkable, and I found that the points she was trying to make failed to justify including those graphic scenes in the story. That's awesome. All right, Catherine, what did you think? Um, I liked the book, but it was more, not for entertainment purposes, more that it was an accurate representation of the time period, and it brought up a lot of topics and issues that um, every day we don't really think about. It's more that we're kind of blind to it, and there was stuff brought up in the book that, like, I mean, I guess beauty standards a lot, too, um, that it just kind of got you thinking. And, like, though there were no doubt, like, disturbing parts, um, I think that 
they weren't exactly necessary, but they didn't, like Max said, they didn't lower the standard of the book. Awesome. Uh, Mr. Slide, you already touched a little bit about why you like the book. Just as a literary work, not not even as teaching the book, but just the book in general, what are your thoughts? I, I guess I would say I disagree with Max. I think that the the writing style is essentially the thing that makes the, the novel work for me. So just like Catherine said, I really am not a fan of, of the graphic nature, like you also have said. It's something that I would not choose to read on my own, but I think the way Toni Morrison has structurally set up the novel um, with choices of narrators, with the idea of using seasons as a uh, an organizing principle, using the Dick and Jane primer, I, I thought it was really an excellent way to, to set up the novel. Again, I would have never been exposed to it unless I took, in my undergraduate courses, a Toni Morrison seminar. And um, to be honest, I took it because I enjoyed my professor. I didn't know anything about Toni Morrison. I didn't know what the class would be like. Uh, I had the professor for Shakespeare. And then just, just taking the time to work and process through and study this author, I, I really grew to have an appreciation of her literature. That's really interesting. So is this your favorite Toni Morrison book then? Uh, yes and no. So Bluest Eye, Beloved, Jazz are probably my top three favorites for her. So I, I don't know if I could put one above the other, but I think I chose this one just because it was the first of her canon and I thought it would be a good place to start. That's awesome. So, Sophie, what did you think about The Bluest Eye? Well, I happen to agree with Max. I think that the book as a whole is a generally abhorrent piece of literature, not only from the subject material as has been touched on already, but also from the narrative structure. And the book is very fragmented in a way that does not make sense. I think that the graphic detail of these assault scenes are wholly unnecessary. And again, her narrative structure, her writing doesn't back it up. I said to somebody, I said, with handling topics such as this, they're eloquent topics that need to be written eloquently about. That person disagreed, but I happen to think that Toni Morrison does not do her subjects justice. And I think that that creates an incredibly underwhelming work that I just don't appreciate. How does it not do it justice, I guess? Or like, where does her like writing style fail? I genuinely think that her writing falls short in, a, in many categories. We don't get enough description of Pecola. She doesn't set up the beginning of the novel with the same graphic detail that she does these very vivid assault scenes as she does with the end of the novel. And that creates a disconnect for me. When we're reading the story, we talk about Pecola's strength. At least champions of the novel will talk about Pecola's strength. They'll talk about how the assault scene is not her defining moment in her life, how she endures it is. But we are introduced to Piccola with the same graphic detail, with the same vivid imagery in the beginning. The only vivid imagery we get of her is during the assault and afterwards. Therefore, it creates this disconnect for me when I don't see Piccola as a strong character because the only time I really see her is in this moment of t awful, awful moment of weakness. And that creates a fragmented story. It doesn't go together. It feels to me like it's more a collection of short stories that happen to be combined perhaps in a newspaper, more so than in a novel. I think that's interesting because if you hear Toni Morrison discuss how she writes the novel, all the things that you say you know, don't work for you, and also Max has said that, I think those are the things that she, I don't want to say feels most proud of because I don't want to speak for her, but she usually speaks about that. She likes how she's taken this this child, this, this like most um, vulnerable member of society, and has used this child to show us the the flaws in, in adult society and adult visions of beauty. So I, I find that very interesting. And again, it's all personal taste and preference. So um, too bad Toni Morrison couldn't, couldn't join us.
That's awesome. So just to mix it up a little bit, so for the people who said that they did not like the novel, Sophie, you, already, you mentioned Soaphead Church, so we can start with Max. Was you think, did you think there was anything redeemable about the novel whatsoever? And if so, which parts did you like? Well, for one, there was a recurring motif. Um, I believe Tristan and I brought this up, but Toni Morrison um, utilizes a piece of the Dick and Jane primer, and then she takes it, writes it so that it basically summarizes the entire novel and foreshadows everything, and then basically sprinkles pieces of it throughout to kind of reemphasize the idea to not only foreshadow the novel, but also reemphasize the novel of like the idea of like black on white on black culture. Um, the Dick and Jane primer was kind of a an idealized symbol of the classic white family. And so that's placed directly on top of black culture and black families in order to emphasize the the ideas that Morrison's trying to portray about white versus black society. It's really interesting. Sophie, so do you want to add anything other than the Sophie Church or that's your only that you think that's something I did not I didn't necessarily find I don't find Sophie Church a redeeming character. I find the description in that part to be a depth. I meant like redeeming seem like well written. I agree with Max. I agree that the Dick and Jane primer works for it. Do I think that that redeems the novel as a whole? No. But do I think if I have to pick out something about the novel that I appreciate? I do appreciate that. I do appreciate that contrast. That, I think, is eloquent. That, I think, was handled well. All right, so to the other side of the people who enjoy the novel, what were your qualms with it? What did you find to be some of its flaws? Um, I would say some of the characters, I thought either we weren't given enough to them. So, for example, the prostitutes. I think we, we've discussed that the prostitutes were characters who, who gave strength, who embodied maybe what Toni Morrison wanted um, females to feel at this time, especially African-American females. I wanted more. So I figure I felt she, she missed an opportunity there. So that's one thing. And then I think one other way, I like the idea of the, the natural imagery and the like spiritualism that she starts to use. So, for example, the marigolds, the dandelions. We have some of the, the mysticism with uh, M. Deer, how she helps to solve the, the illness of Aunt Jimmy. I would have liked to see some more of that, and I think Toni Morrison, in her later work, starts to incorporate more, so perhaps because this was her first novel, it was, it's her first attempt, so she maybe sees some areas where she, she could make her writing stronger. What did you think was a flaw with the novel, as someone who enjoyed it? Um, this is just my personal preference, but I know that Toni Morrison studied a lot of like the classics, like obviously Faulkner, which is, her, her novel kind of takes aspects from Sound and the Fury, um, and I could totally go in a different direction, but I just wish that she added more, I guess, like, references to, like, history or something, even within, because the, the book's basically about black culture. It'd be kind of interesting, and I feel like it could get the reader more thinking and delving deeper into a topic she wants people to know more about if she added more, um, I guess, like, historical references, like, maybe from, like, the Civil War or like previous years during slavery. Um, I don't think it's exactly like a fault that she didn't include it. It would just be, I think it would make the novel stronger if she did. I really like that. And also, you know, the podcast originated from Northeast Ohio, the connection to Lorraine. And I, I, I enjoy that. And I would have liked more of Lorraine as well. So thanks for reminding me of that. All right. Awesome. Do you guys have anything, um, Max and Sophie, to respond? Or do, or so do you? reciprocate those uh, concerns? I mean, just in following, um, 
I feel like what both of them have brought up and what both of them are touching upon is that the novel just lacks in a lot of areas. Like, I didn't find her writing style, I didn't find the book overall to be, like, horribly written. I just found it to be fine. You know, I just didn't find there to be anything special about it. So, like, all of the things where she starts to display competent writing, she just kind of, like, falls short. She doesn't expand upon those areas. There's nothing I can really grab onto. For a bit of background, essentially, The Bluest Eye started as a short story. Uh, Toni Morrison, in interviews, she talks about how she was in a writing group when she was living in New York City. The writing group was a group of professional writers, and she was working as an editor, so she always felt that she technically didn't belong. And through that writing group, through that encouragement, they forced her to bring out something in her writing. And The Bluest Eye started as this, we'll call it initially a short story. I don't know if she ever planned on just keeping it as a short story. So, you know, I can see that. Uh, just a quick question, and I know the dislike of the novel. Do you see yourself ever trying to see a later work, see if Toni Morrison has has improved upon any of those flaws that you see? I did. Because um, I had, we were reading up on criticism of this novel, and it seemed, as you said, like people kind of laid problems with the novel upon it being her first work. So I know that Toni Morrison stays pretty consistent with like her messages and like what she's trying to portray throughout her body of work but i would be curious to read something like beloved and see how her writing style evolves i would concur with that i would think that that would be something interesting to do although i will not lie i think that my dislike for the bluest eye would color anything that i anything else i review first in the future i think that i would go into it with this book in the back of my mind saying i really really did not like that and along the point that was made earlier Without wanting to get too much into the race issue, it's very, very prevalent in this story. I don't think anybody's going to deny that. Toni Morrison says, and I quote, I'm writing for black people, unquote. And I think that one of the other major issues that I have with this novel is that I feel that she falls drastically short of many of the goals that she has set for herself. Personally, I find African-American culture fascinating. I think that Langston Hughes is an amazing poet. I read other African-American literature that I have found astounding and wonderful. But I think that this falls short of that because it does not portray the strength of African-American culture. Pakola, as this character who has this terrible, terrible incident and eventually loses her sanity because of it, I do not see how that portrays strength. And that's one of the other issues that I have with this. There's a really wonderful interview with Toni Morrison where she speaks very candidly, and that's what she says. She, As we discussed in class, we talked about the Black is Beautiful movement. We talked about recognizing the importance of, of the culture and the heritage. And Toni Morrison is like, I, I understand that, but she also is, and I'm paraphrasing, so these are not her exact words, but she says something along the lines of, but what about the other people? You know, what about the ones who aren't beautiful or aren't beautiful yet? So I think that's where she decided to select Pacola as her character and a starting point. Um, again, does she, does she do a good job with the character? I think so, but I can absolutely see where people feel that fall short perhaps it's too short perhaps there's not enough description not enough history awesome so now that we have clarified our opinions a little bit do you think that this book should be taught in school so we can start with the aspect of should this be in the class period like is it a good enough novel to meet ap english standards i i haven't done any research on the the banned book list but i would be safe to make a guess that this book is is probably banned in many 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 school districts we're extremely lucky here. 
uh, we're allowed to, to teach essentially whatever novel we would like for the AP curriculum. If it's outside of the AP curriculum, there are a few more standards and protocols that have to be followed. But as far as us taking this as a college course, I feel that it's an excellent novel to choose as far as validity for answering questions that you know are requiring a uh, mature voice. I think it provides that for you. I, I believe so. I think that though there's some parts where I can see why people are you the information might be a bit like spoon fed but it might just be because we're coming out of sound and the fury like this is like the week after we read sound <laughs> and the fury which is definitely not a novel you're like spoon fed from but i think when you're looking at all the other works and like that we've read and obviously i think that they're like incredible like works of like i guess literature like faulkner thomas hardy yeah and all these just like big names of like historical authors when you get someone who's from a totally different perspective, a black woman who's living in like the like late nineteenth no twentieth century, 20th century. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that it offers like a unique perspective and like kind of a break from what we're used to and just like a way to kind of step outside the box. Um, I I disagree. I I do not think it should be taught in an AP or college level course. Um, because again, I, I don't think it's badly written, but I just don't think there's anything particularly advanced about the reading of it. Like I find, as Catherine said, like everything is just very spoon-fed. Like when you go to analyze this book, you find that all of the answers are just directly in the text. Like there's not a whole lot. There are a few things I'll concede, but for the most part, every question you have about the book is usually directly answered by a narrator. So I just don't find it particularly complex, particularly challenging. I personally, even though I really do not like this novel, completely defend Mr. Salmina when he says I think that it's important to teach in school because I do not believe in shying away from literature just because it is gruesome or just because it is graphic or just because the subject material is very heavy. When you say that we are in AP English literature and you think that we're mature enough to handle it, I for one really appreciate that. I appreciate reading this, well, in hindsight, reading this and being able to have a discussion about it, have a discussion with my classmates, have a discussion with Mr. Slanina, who's very open to talking to people who does not who do not agree with him. I think that that's incredible. So I might not agree with what Morrison says, but I will always defend her right to say it, and I think that's one of the principles that we here at State-Sponsored Programming will name drop there. Abide by the freedom of speech. That being said, though, I think that one of the points I asked Mr. Slanina the other day, he was joking about possibly having to cut a novel because of the new schedule we were working on for the year, I said, you definitely have to cut the blue aside. <laughs> you know, absolutely. He was just like, but I think it's important for from like an ethnic literature standpoint to have that exposure to African-American literature. To which I countered with, well, why don't we study other types of literature, Asian literature perhaps, or Indian? Why instead of reading a fiction story about something, why do we not read a story about the rape of Man King or another historical event that is just as gruesome as this? Why do we not cut our feminist novels like The Awakening and Tessa de Herbervilles, and put in Anna Karenina or other literature of that nature. Why the bluest eye, with all of that being said? Do you still stand by that? I do, and, and that is a fair point. And as we talked earlier, not to keep the listeners out of a, a secret conversation, we talked earlier, there's there's many other options. And, and I mentioned I'm a, a, a huge fan of Indian literature. Um, you know, the Mahabhatara is, is this wonderful epic poetry. Not that we could read that, but why don't we look at some of that and then possibly apply that to what we see with maybe Salman Rushdie's writing 
or Arundhati Roy. Uh, there's all these different places to go, and and that's always the the problem with with teaching a course. There's there's not enough time, and that's the beauty then of leaving high school and then moving on. And if you do have the ability to study study literature, you have those options to go into there. So, 100%. That is always the it's always the issue. It's always what do we do? What do we, you know, what can we put into the class? And and I think sometimes we select some of those classics like Hardy or Kate Chopin uh, because it connects with what you've done before. And perhaps there is room to, to cut one of those novels. Uh, just a question to Max. So what do you? So you mentioned that you don't think it's worth it for the book to be taught in class. So what book do you think would be better to teach instead that would possibly? teach similar themes, but would be more well-written and just better literature to analyze. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I have not personally read enough African-American literature to feel that I am qualified to answer that. However, the first thing that would come to mind um, would be the book Native Son by Richard Wright. And, and to help you out with that, and it is difficult because there are, there are so many different pieces of literature, uh, one of the things, and this is maybe not the best way to consider, uh, for example, Invisible Man, about 500 pages, Native Son, I don't know off the top of my head, but 300 pages or, or so. Uh, so it's also, we have to think about workload for the students, so maybe that shouldn't be a primary consideration, but we are doing 10 works in this semester, and our, our schedule is extremely accelerated as it is. So that's also something that does kind of pop into mind. So back to your point about spoon-fed with bluest eye, I do feel it is a little bit easier and accessible to get into. And if you notice, it comes between, for our reading list, it comes between Sound and the Fury and Portrait of the Artist. So not that it's supposed to be a breather, not that it's supposed to be an easier week, but right, it is. And then, you know, some of the other works, I mean, we have The Awakening, which is, what, 115 pages or so. So also sometimes that consideration goes in. But uh, you are right. There are there are other works. And I mean, I, I enjoy taking African-American literature. Um, you know, some of the authors, James Baldwin, you mentioned Langston Hughes. So there's just so many different places to go. And, and again, like we saw within The Bluest Eye, within the race, within the culture, just like our own, everyone has their own ideas, everyone has their own opinions, and it's like, who do we follow, who do we read? It's very difficult. Awesome. So do you guys have any closing remarks or thoughts about the book? So with the themes and with the things in this novel that are discussed, something that we've kind of toyed around with discussing on the podcast is the idea that because this is a novel that's taught in school, because it is required reading, where do we draw the line between saying this is educational because it's going to challenge you and saying this can't be right in schools. Now, I know you said that you don't feel like this should be taught in schools for reasons other than the fact of its content. I personally don't necessarily think, I don't think it should be blacklisted because of its content. Again, like we discussed, I think that we are mature enough to handle it. I also don't necessarily think that the school should be saying I, you don't have a right to read this. It's up to the teacher's discretion whether or not they think it's beneficial. So I wanted to kind of put that out there. Where do we draw the line between what we can and can't read in school? I'd, I'll take that. I'd like to say, um, really, it comes down to does the questionable content, question, the content that might land on a banned book list, per se, have educational merit? Like, um, I remember a book called The Turner Diaries, which was written by a neo-Nazi, and it wasn't really a valuable piece of literature whatsoever. It was a propaganda novel where he talks about, you know, wanting to kill minorities at large. So if we were to handle that in a classroom, like, students don't gain anything out of it. They're just reading a hate piece. Whereas, like, something like this, regardless of what I might personally think about the quality of it, the graphic content, the question, the content that is questionable, 
has some value attached to it. You can gain something for that. Well said, and I, I hope everyone listening is is realizing that Max is not saying it should not be read because of the the information present. He just feels that for him, it wasn't a challenging novel. Am I speaking that yeah, correctly? Exactly. Right. And and well said. I mean that that essentially is it. Is there some sort of disturbing content? Yes. What do we gain from that? We see the perspective of someone who is isolated. We see that isolation, what the effect is. So that works. A great example. Um, I don't. I agree with everything that was said. I don't really disagree on everything to add, though. <laughs> so, but Catherine, you are pretty in the broad terms of, I guess we'll say censorship. Censorship. You're pretty liberal. You don't necessarily think that things should be censored. You think that people, if you can't handle it, then leave. You know what I mean? So, do you think that in school though that changes? I think. When you get to a certain level, you should be able to be, like, entrusted with, like, knowledge that um, was more or less, like, held, like, withheld earlier. And um, I think if your parents agree to it and if you're, like, past 18 and you agree to it, um, that you should be able to read whatever you want. I think it's important when we're talking about this to kind of draw a distinction between the school outright banning things and banning things for their curriculum. Uh, like, for obviously for the school, you know, if I was sitting here reading Mein Kampf, not that I probably would, for the school to come and say, you know, you can't read that in our hallways, that's one thing. For the, but for them to say, you know, Mein Kampf can't be on a curriculum is another. I mean, they don't, I imagine Mr. Solano would need pushback if you were to put, like, Percy Jackson on the AP curriculum because it's not particularly fancy. <laughs> <laughs> that's not totalitarian censorship, right. in my opinion. Right, and, and great point. I mean, again, I mentioned earlier, and I'll say it again just quickly, we are very lucky because we have, we have, in a sense, checks and balances. There are parent groups. There are groups that read our works, and they'll bring us questions, but they're very open. It's not, we're going to question you, and then we're going to say no. They will listen, and they will see. So absolutely, um, Mind Comp definitely would be one that would be... <laughs> Raise some objections. Just yes, to yes. But along those lines, some of the things that I've done reading for history, you know, it's not pretty. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure... Max and Catherine are both having independent study of philosophy. I'm sure when you really delve deep into some of the philo- philosophical concepts and the consequences that portraying that bringing those ideas to light led to, it's not attractive in any way, shape, or form. But at the same time, we're in school and it's something that we want that we're interested in learning about, and you can't run from the fact that it does exist. Uh, just to interject one more question for everybody here. So we're talking about curriculum. So in terms of strictly literature. Uh, do you think that there should be any books in the library that are explicitly banned or it should be as liberal as possible? So if you guys could touch on that a little bit. That's a, that's a difficult question because obviously our librarians do a wonderful job. We have the Tropic of Cancer in our library. And, you know, this is essentially people will say it's pornography or the way it's written. So, you know, there's no censorship. There's no one going through the, the stacks. It's there and it's present. And I think... You know, someone would check it out. Our librarians are, are well-read. Our English teachers are well-read. And I think someone would say, you know, do you know why you're reading that? You know, is there a reason for it? So as far as should specific works be not, like, on the shelves or should they not be present in school, of course there's standards of decency, right? And I would hope someone, if they are reading something that is completely inappropriate, you know, that's on your own time. That's, that's where you're doing it. And then here in the school, you know, like we were saying, what's the educational value? How are you using this? But, I mean, of course, things are going to slip through the cracks. Um, I feel like if I agree with Mr. Salina, I'm actually reading Tropic of, Can- Tropic of <laughs> Cancer. But I think 
that the philosophy in it is like interesting and I'm very into philosophy but it's just a extremely pornographic book <laughs> but um I think if you can justify why you're reading it then go for it I would concur with that and I agree with that as well I think that it should definitely be up to the discretion of the teacher like you said all of our teachers here are well read and I don't think that any teacher would assign something as required reading unless it had educational merit that by that same token I don't think that it should ever be a situation where the teacher says I'd like to teach this you know, it's a little bit questionable, but I think that the kids are really going to get something from it and then be told no. I am not a huge, I don't like that at all. So. so today we talked a little bit about our opinions about The Bluest Eye, as well as if the book should be taught in schools. We also talked about if the book should be in the library, what kind of books could be in the library, or taught in curriculums and educational values in literature. Thank you guys so much for listening. Mr. Salina, thank you again so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm Will Blysaf. I'm Sophie Dasko. I'm Maximilian Schell. I'm Catherine Bepler. And this is state-sponsored programming. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of state-sponsored programming. We're on most podcasting platforms, so wherever you are, make sure to like, follow, and give us five stars if you enjoyed listening. You can also follow us on Twitter at SS underscore programming for all updates and giveaways. This is State Sponsored Programming, signing off.